Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. Sorry about last week. We had uh, some technical difficulties with myself being on vacation, but I'm uh, back and ready for episode 200. Happy to be joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it over first, as usual, to Spartan Grow. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, uh, chat. I'm sorry we missed you last week. I, we, I did miss you, um, but we're back here this week, and it looks like this show is going to be pretty info heavy, so I'm excited to get into it. Um, and uh, I'll just introduce myself. I was part and grown. You can find me on Instagram. All one word, no spaces. There's a lot of uh, fake accounts out there. Make sure you got the right guy. If you don't want, if you want to have to cut through the bullshit, send an email to spartangrown at gmail.com. That's one thing that is uh, all one word, no spaces, and you'll get to me. Uh, other than that, I'll be happy to help you with your gardening questions, organic or synthetic. Happy to have you back. And uh, yeah, Instagram does weird things with DMs. Uh, puts them in like, if you're not following that person, sometimes you have to like go through multiple layers or whatever, try and allow them to send the message to you, even if it's somebody you might want the message from. But uh, with that being said, yeah, email, I'm actually pretty good about getting to my email as well, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. So if anybody wants to hit me there, I usually get back within a few days, maybe a week, <laughs> but I'll always get back to you guys if I see you. A lot of junk mail still gets filtered through, but uh, next up, we've got Dr. MJ. Hey, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco here from CocoForCanvas.com. 200 episodes, man. I think that that qualifies us for a good syndication deal at this point. You know, we can sell off all those in the back library here at this point. No, I'm excited. I've been part of most of that. And, you know, along with Jack Greenstock and Spartan Grown and uh, the American one, sort of short-staffed a little bit here today. But, yeah, it's going to be an interesting episode. Uh, check me out on YouTube, where you already are, probably, uh, Dr. MJ Coco, on Instagram, or, of course, over at CocoForCannabis.com. Looks like we've got at least half the crew here so far, and I think if uh, Matthew Gates is with us, I'll go ahead and pass it over to him next. Yeah, most of you already know, but it's Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Measurement Specialist, so I'm, I'm excited. Are we going to be talking some research today, Jack? I do. I at least know some of the ones that we're that we discussed in chat, but uh, I'm excited I pulled up all of the cheap home grow, whether it was an Instagram post that was covering a scientific article, scientific related Instagram posts and actual scientific articles. So I've got probably like 10 tabs on my uh, browser over here and they're all pretty science heavy. So let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, 10. I think so. Uh, we'll flip through those and uh, see what seems the most interesting. I think a couple of them are from Brandon Rust, who is not currently with us. So I don't think we'll be covering those, but I want to. Oh, I like his Bouveria one. Okay. Well, this, then maybe we'll get into that. that. Yeah. But I want to go ahead and introduce uh, the last who's currently with us and certainly not least the American one. What's up, Jack panel and everyone in chat. It is always great to be here. I'm uh, glad to have been make it another week. Well, actually, it's two now, and uh, yeah, I'm glad everyone's in chat. Good to see everybody. I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. Most of you know me or know where to find me, but if not, you can DM me on the IG and uh, yeah, go from there. Peace. Well, we are happy to have you back. And uh, like we mentioned at the top, we're going to be talking about some research tonight. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and without further ado, I'm going to make my uh, browser here full screen. And actually, I minimized it. So before I start sharing screen, I'll go ahead and make sure I have everything set up right. So, all right. 
here we go. Sure. So the first thing I wanted to go to was I think you were talking about a Bavaria paper. So I'm gonna try and click oh over boy. to that. We've got yeah. lots, lots and lots and lots of stuff going on this evening. Um I actually have to minimize because Zoom's controls block the uh stuff. So I have to just click through like this. Yeah, um, I hate when that happens. You guys can't see it, but uh at the top of the screen, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, controls that will block out my ability to click on the tabs. So this, uh, I don't think, is the one. This is one that Tao sent. Um, That's a good one, too. So I'll just go ahead and uh, read the article titles, and then we can get some interest from the chat in uh, which ones. So I'll just go from left to right. Investigation of microorganisms in cannabis after heating in a commercial vaporizer. Oh, yes. I like that one. And then the next article is cannabis glandular trichomes after or alter morphology and metabolite content during flower maturation. Interesting article there. Beyond chemical triggers, this is article three, beyond chemical triggers, evidence for sound evoked physiological reactions in plants. This is one that Tao sent us. Uh, exposure in vitro to an environmentally isolated strain, TC09, of Cladosporium, sphagospermum. Uh, I'm way off on that, but triggers oh. plant growth, uh, promotion, early flowering, and fruit yield increases. So thank you, Tao, for that one. Um, this is just a person's page, so I think I might have to go back through and find that person. This person a has a lot of research. Yeah, as you can probably see, anyone who's looking at the video can see they've got posts and they have a science article related to each post and it's a nice comprehensive uh collection this was actually the post right here the, yeah, yeah one that i shared um and they actually i should have before the show gone and looked up the source but i'll pop that into google and hopefully we could find that but if not we've at least got the information here on their post they did a lot of uh, breakdown kind of showing it off so at least we can flip through that but I found this one to be pretty interesting as well. The article title is How to Characterize Trichome Phenotypes to Assess Maturation and Flower Development in Cannabis Sativa L. Hey, let me just point out, you see how uh, Jack just copied and pasted, you could copy from the browser and Instagram to get the links that are in posts and comments, just so some people don't know that. They're like, oh, the links don't work in IG. If you open it up in a browser, then you can copy and paste it. So I just wanted to uh, point that out. Yeah, Instagram doesn't support copying and pasting in the app, but you're right. You can do that sort of stuff on the browser, which I guess is a half win for people. Uh, another post, it's not necessarily a scientific article. Maybe they do quote a scientific article, but uh, Prima Clones made a post talking about testing for hoplite and viroid and the success rate of finding it when the plant was actually infected and notably pointing out that testing the root had higher success rate than old growth, new growth, or upper clone stem. Um, so we could, I don't know how much there is to discuss about this, and maybe I, we could get Matthew's input on that and others, but uh, we've got two other posts here. I think this was the one that Matthew referenced at the top, the split personality yes. of Bavaria bassiana, understanding the molecular basis of fungal parasitism and mutualism so that is a interesting one 
hopefully uh, Brandon will join us. And even if he doesn't, we could get Matthew's put input and everybody else is on that. And then um, he keeps pulling up people's pages, but I think he posted a few different scientific articles, but I think it was comparison of terpene profiles and commercial cannabis. And this was looking at like the sun grown and uh, also wish Brandon was here because he talked a little bit about how I think it was uh, Tina Gordon was uh, works for like Moonmade, who is one of the people who's yeah Moonmade Farms here um, in the study. But this is comparing indoor versus outdoor. So another interesting post with the cannabis related science that we can discuss. So those are the ten, I believe, uh, articles that we've got. And I'll go ahead and click on over to the chat and see what we've got going on. Hopefully it'll work on a, I don't know if it's going to get like mirrored out, but we've got a bunch of people in here and I don't know. What are you guys uh, feeling? We've got just a couple of us. I'm going to stop sharing the screen for a second and check out the YouTube, but um, I'll pass it to Spartan Grown. Does, do any of those sound interesting to you to start off with? The most interesting one and one that is the most scary one as far as public health it's got to be that vaping the one with the, the vaping yeah one. that's a good one that's well, a good one get into i think okay so i think we can start with that one and um then we'll go from there and see what uh, we want to jump to next so that was the very first one and i'll go ahead and share screen again and click on growing with my fellow growers even though i'm gonna click over to the next tab and then go full screen so i won't be jumping around all right, so investigation of microorganisms in cannabis after heating in a commercial vaporizer. And um, does anybody want to go ahead and read the introduction? And then maybe we could discuss from there. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do it because I probably, I probably, I want to feel myself stumble on this and then you guys can sound intelligent afterwards if that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just the introduction, the first paragraph, okay. There are concerns about microorganisms present on cannabis materials used in clinical settings by individuals whose health status is already compromised and are likely more susceptible to opportunistic infections from microbial populations present on the materials. Most concerning is administration by inhalation where cannabis plant material is heated in a vaporizer, aerosolized, and inhaled to receive the bioactive ingredients. Heating to high temperatures is known to kill microorganisms, including bacteria and fungi. However, microbial death is dependent upon exposure time and temperature. It's unknown whether the heating of cannabis at temperatures and times designated by a commercial vaporizer used, utilized in clinical settings will significantly decrease, decrease the microbial loads in cannabis plant material. So like my layman's terms in that is, it's like most people will look to vaporizing herb because it's been shown, I was going to say this thought too, but been shown to be healthier to consume in that way rather than full combustion. But the danger in that, according to this, is that temperatures might not be high enough to really destroy a lot of the bad fungus specifically that you would get, that you wouldn't have. I hate to say this to make people think that it's some kind of a, a, a way through it, but a lot of that fungus is destroyed when you're actually combusting it all the way. Whereas when you're vaporizing it, some of it can persist. Yeah, absolutely. Right, they mentioned some bacteria and fungi. If you want, if we go down a little bit to the bottom of page one and the beginning of page two, we can go over the results and discussion really quickly. So we have that framework. Where do you want me to uh, scroll to? Just tell me when to stop. Oh, um, 
go are you on sorry I was I was looking at my own PDF so go up go up more yeah uh are we looking at the same thing I think the online version gives a brief introduction methods and results and discussion and then if you yeah the results down, and discussion the full, right yeah 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 the go to the full... results and discussion yep go okay. to that one Results and it, go, it ekes out a little bit on the second page. Like this top results and discussion of the full. Oh, one yeah. Now. Okay. So on the PDF, that's split up, but here is the whole thing. So overall, while there were trends of reduction in microbial counts with heating, these reductions were not statistically significant, indicating that heating using standard vaporization parameters of 70 seconds at 190 degrees Celsius may not eliminate the existing microbial bioburden, which is a great word, including any opportunistic pathogens. When cultured, organisms were identified by DNA sequence analyses, several fungal and bacterial taxa, or organisms, basically types of organisms, were detected in the different products that have been associated with opportunistic infections or allergic reactions, including Enterobacteriaceae, Staphylococcus, Pseudomonas, and Aspergillus. The first three are bacteria. The last one is a fungus. And Aspergillus in particular, we've talked about it on the show before, not great for your lungs. It's one that we test for in California. Are the other three in the testing on commercial product? Do you know? A lot of times, yeah, because Staphylococcus aureus is a, it can infect your skin. Um, Somebody that I know was recently they got uh, they got MRSA um, through a, they were at a hospital and they had like a wound that was being treated and it's not great <laughs> so um, yeah uh, of course in this case we're talking about it getting into your lungs getting into your throat um, and doing a lot of bad things to you that way what and if you're immune I'm sorry does anybody know it said they gave the example of 70 seconds which I feel is a long time. It is a long time, yeah. At 190 degrees Celsius, what is that conversion to Fahrenheit? Should I just Google that? Probably, yeah. yeah, I I can't do it. (laughs) It's like times two plus 30, roughly. 70 seconds sounds a long time. It's like around 400, 350. If this is a dry herb vape that we're imagining in this scenario. I think so, yeah. And I, yeah, 70 seconds is not realistic. Um, Yeah, Yeah, which means it's probably worse, right? Yeah. It's shorter. Yeah. Right. So there'd be less shorter. pathogen death yeah. during that time. Yeah. I, I really do think though that this is probably something that's only going to be significant for immunocompromised individuals. I mean, that's what they're saying in this study. So I don't want everybody to freak out about this and be like, oh no, we can't vape weed Can just anymore. Yeah. Jump in for a second. Yo, because God, the one, one, the one medically, <laughs> medically approved in California at least, uh vaporizer there's like a uc san francisco study done with the volcano vaporizer and it became a medical device so if you have an ailment in california that is treated by cannabis you can go out and through your insurance buy a volcano and have it be you know compensated or reimbursed somewhat because it went through the scrutiny to be considered a medical device and to my knowledge no other vaporizer has yet done so that vaporizer is a bag style vaporizer and it heats up for about 60 seconds to fill a bag. So I think that this study is examining a vaporizer and it was 374 degrees for, in, in case you didn't look it up, Spartan, in Fahrenheit. 
So 374 degrees for 60 seconds to fill up a bag. And then somebody would consume that bag over, you know, one puff or several puffs, depending on their You're thinking they used the volcano in the study. It I think you're right. Somewhere, right? Well, we can go down to the, the, I wanted to talk about the um, methods, but we also have 10 studies. So I don't know how much time we want to spend on each one, but oh, yeah, at the good same point. time. I don't uh, think we should try to get through 10 studies. I think yeah, we should no, try to get t- through touch on the best ones. For many we yeah. get through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So don't let that worry. Let's, let's talk about these as long as they're interesting. Yeah. As long as the people, and that's, I, I kind of throw them all out there to see what people are most interested in. Yeah. And I think we'll take this as long as uh, it feels appropriate and then we'll move on. But um, I think right now we're just trying to find vaporization yeah, and equipment. I agree. I hadn't thought about the, the volcano specifically yeah. in the bag style vaporizers, but that does sound like what they're, it says it right there. yeah, they talk about it right there. Recommended time prior to attachment of the vapor collection bag. Mm-hmm. Volcano. The volcano stores in Bickle. Here it is right at the top, a yeah. commercial vaporizer. Yeah. Yeah. So that totally makes sense. And, you know, I, I, I think that I mainly agree with what Dr. Coco is saying here that like people who are immunocompromised are probably way more, or definitely are way more vulnerable in this, in this way. And right. you're, and, and you're probably right now breathing, especially if you're inside, um, you should look up people who don't know this, like indoor air quality is actually a massively underrated aspect of health. Yeah. And it's oftentimes not very great. Do, does it kill you outright? No, but constant exposure. Eventually. Eventually, over time. yeah. And, yeah, and, it's not great. So, yeah. but, within, but within that, but within that point, I want to say that I, I don't, yeah, on the one hand, I don't think that it means that you shouldn't use vaporizers like this. But on the other hand, I do want to say that that constant exposure is not great. And those spores are on your flower, whether it's the dankest organic flower that you're getting you know, sun-grown indoor, which we should do that paper too, um, or not, you know, those things are everywhere. They're on you, they're in you, they're around you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're probably breathing in like 80 plus spores or more, probably way more than that, every time you inhale and your lungs are dealing with that. But right. yeah, like it could be, and some people are sensitive and they develop sensitizations that others don't have. So you can't, ass- you can't assume you're going to be the average person either. Well, this also, I think this is really for people though, it, it points this out in the beginning for people whose health status is already compromised and are more likely to be susceptible to opportunistic infections. Um, right. I think it's based because there was a death already... based on an yeah. aspergillus death based on vaporization in California. It was recommended to a medical patient who then ended up dying based on aspergillus related infection. And um, that's why I think when Prop 64 came around, they were very heavy on the testing for aspergillus and other things that could, if they're not like um, detected, but like Matthew was saying, I guess even in, in trace amounts, they could be just around, um, but in concentrated amounts, I think in the, in the app, in the air, like depending on where you are, it's always going to be different, but like, um, I think it concentrates indoor and perhaps when you're smoking, you know, and yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't think that, uh, I'm yeah, curious. This is, this the- is Dr. Coco can help us out. Maybe I forget, like you know, numbers needed to harm and that kind of stuff. You know, are you familiar with that terminology gonna, with medical um, doses? Growing on the flower, it'd be a lot more uh, concentrated when you're inhaling it. I think that's what they're insinuating. It's on the flower that you're growing the, the opportunistic bio burdens. 
I also think that they're kind of more talking about stuff that wasn't tested and it's probably at much, much higher levels and could be potentially very risky. Um, and it's just kind of pointing out that, like Spartan mentioned at the top, vaporization, although it is probably for most people like a healthier alternative than inhaling or combusting uh, flour, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not like a cure all. It, it, if you are one of those vulnerable people and you don't get lab tested product, um, then maybe you should be concerned and try and find stuff that would have at least the lowest possible level from the start so that even if there is, uh, you know, background levels, there's the same with like, if you get broccoli, there's like lead and arsenic and all these other things in every piece of food you ingest. It's just micro yeah. trace parts per billion, yeah. parts per million. And there's accepted levels that the FDA sets that foods can fall within. If it goes over a certain amount, then it's no longer okay. And even like, I know somebody I just uh, visit them who works in like a lead uh, factory. They do like iron work, but they got their blood tested at the very start. And they're like 0 0.6 uh, parts per million or billion with lead. But uh, Brandon Russ is running us. Cool. I didn't admit him. But after working there for however long, they're at like, 12 and osha's standard 12. is like 50 parts per billion or million and his company says if you get over 20 they like let you go because they don't want to even risk but yeah. it just shows that there's a, a level that is acceptable as scary as that sounds like i'd want to stay at 0 0.6 and it scares me that when he tells me about all the ppe he has to put on and how hot it is and how it's not necessarily perfect and they still definitely get fucking lead in their blood your ppe everyone yeah yeah, and people that work in New York facilities and have their little cards on them that measure how much radiation they've been exposed to. That's how we found out Chernobyl happened, or one of the ways we confirmed it, because yeah. nuclear scientists would go into their nuke places and they would beep going in. <laughs> that's uh, kind of strange, and that's why it was because they already were exposed to fallout. No bueno, but I want to give a second to welcome Brandon Rust to the conversation. We're talking about a little bit of science tonight, and uh, so go ahead and introduce yourself, Brandon. Oh, yeah, sorry for coming in late, guys. Uh, I'm Brandon Rust, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, owner of Bokashi Earthworks. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Patreon, and at BokashiEarthworks.com. Happy to have you, and I'll scroll up just so you can see the title of this article. Um, it is investigation of microorganisms and cannabis after heating in a commercial vaporizer. We've discussed the introduction a little bit about the methods they used a volcano vaporizer. That's why it might look a little interesting that it was heated up for 30 to 70 seconds at uh, 190, which is 374 Fahrenheit. And we were just kind of discussing the results and how it mainly pertains to people who are um, vulnerable already. But it's, um, I don't know. I, I'm curious what the rest of the panel's thoughts are on what more do we want to look deeper into any parts like the results, like the extended parts. Any cool or... diagrams? Let me keep scrolling and see if anything pops up. I think the main mm -hmm. takeaway for the, you know, even our average viewer or whatever is this in this knowledge, you can use this to your advantage. Now, if you have questionable cannabis that you're going to considering smoking, Put that in your bong and put real fire on that. <laughs> if you've got put fire on your fire is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. And then if, if you've got something that's been lab tested to be free of molds, then you can feel confident that you're okay. You're probably making a healthier decision by uh, vaporizing. That's a good point. Can and, you uh, put that one back up for a second? I don't know if I'm looking. 
looking at that first image that you picked up, I was I was looking at that. This is how the 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 change in E. coli was affected by heating it to 30 for 30 seconds, the blue bars or to 70 seconds, the red bars. Red or orange, what color is that? Um, yeah, an orange-ish, I guess. It doesn't it, look like either one had much. to me that in some cases seems to go up. So do we know what the alphanumericals are? Can we look at the description real quick? Probably different samples. It must be, right? Yeah. And then the error bars, but like the only way to explain some of those ranges. They're massive in some of those cases. Interesting. When you see data like that, it just, I, I start to look for the pattern and, and to see, you know, oftentimes in, in papers, people try to make something out of their data instead of just sort of like, look at this thing that's obviously there. So you look at data like this and be like, okay, is there consistent patterns, um, for example, between heating to 30 or heating for 70 seconds? And there should be, frankly, um, a, a fairly consistent pattern that heating for 70 seconds would have a greater change. Um, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'd have to spend more time with this graph. And then, well, Matthew has mentioned in the past, even smoking yeah, won't kill all microbials. So like the fact that right? which one has which microbial, it's, it's just a general number. I think that they're looking at like a CFU count. And so each time that they did this for 60 or 30 however many seconds um it's interesting to see how much of right. somebody's got an open mic i have uh, uh, that's not Brandon. me but i think we should what's the takeaway from this do we uh freak out worry about it or do we just uh stop vaporizing or do we just boil it first but <laughs> boil it yeah. first I don't, know, British, I don't maybe. know. I want to get deeper into it, and like, how much was there to begin with, and you know, what what is yeah. the real danger of any of these things? Just the fact that it wasn't completely eliminated doesn't like Jack was to Jack's point about there being an acceptable amount. It, we may be dealing with sort of fractions of an acceptable amount for most people. Yeah. So I don't. Until, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't like that they had. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I didn't like how it was just percent of change. Like, give me something a little more intuitive than that. Yeah. You know, if it was a real deadly danger, there'd be more dead people. No, I, yeah, but, but still, it's not. That was my argument a while ago yeah. on this show about smoking bud rot, bud. I was like, if people were dying left and right by this, then I'd be more concerned. Right. Like, where's the body concerned, count? Right? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. Still, if you get sick, I'm sure it's not, it's not a fun feeling if you get some sort of infection in your lungs, you know, even temporarily. If it can be fixed, you know, I don't know though, but yeah, you know, I think it's making me think maybe that's what I would take from this is maybe I wouldn't, I, I would want to combust any bud that was sort of eh, sketchy I'll as opposed this. to sketchy with mold or, or fungus or something like that. As opposed to maybe cigarette filter with a cigarette. I was going to say the same that? thing. Yeah. I was going to be like, I like to see the cigarette or like I like to see the loose tobacco version of this because. Not because like anyone's making an argument or I guess some people are, but um, 
well, it'd be just interesting. They put, they put <laughs> stuff on, there, CFU. on cigarettes that probably kills all that shit, right? Yeah, that's Most probably true. Aldehyde and stuff. You some, totally knows. You can do some yeah. mass spec before and after as well and see what's... The, right. well, this at least shows CFU here. We're looking at uh, aerobic plate counts on tripic soy agar, for those who are just listening. The left side is CFU per gram of cannabis. And so each one, placebo, no heat, is a kind of far right bar and it's always higher than all of the other conditions so even the uh you know low heat settings the like lowest vaporization lowest time um reduce pretty significantly at least halved in or if not more mm-hmm. only in experiment three did it not cut in half um no, in experiment- notice that orange is gone in all of these by the way Placebo 30 second heat versus placebo no heat. Placebo no heat is blue. Placebo 30 second heat is an orange color, and there is no orange. That second one to the right? Is that, I can't tell this. Well, there's like a blank. Did you notice that the bars, there's like a blank one? I wonder if that was supposed to be the orange one or that one, perhaps. Yeah, it's, I really I don't, don't like what, see the this three happens. low potencies and the three high potencies. I don't see the placebos represented in this chart. So from left to right, that light blue is low potency, no heat, right? It's not placebo, no heat. Yeah, it must. But look at the experiment one from left. At the very, and at then the very, very, very left, there's at the very, very, very left of exp one, there is a small little tiny little yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be where see. the placebo should be. Perhaps. Yeah. In experiment perhaps, two, so. there's a little bar in one position further to the left. Interesting. And that's where you would expect to see the placebos. So yeah, I think you're maybe right. Maybe the placebo is right. listed somewhere else because it's just a flat CFU. Right. Yeah. It's not showing up there. Figure two aerobic microbial counts. Okay, 30 to 70 seconds. Um it doesn't list it right there directly. I thought it may have. So it's definitely interesting. I think um, I'm curious uh, where where do you guys want to take this one? Do you want to continue looking more into the study, or do you want to? I'm move d- I'm done with switching. Else? Oh wait 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 stop. There's a paragraph here. Go down a little bit. Go down. All right all right, all right. okay. So okay hold. The uh, first sentence of the second paragraph says. For the experiments examining fungal growth samples were played on SDA and PDA, the placebo samples had very low counts, averaging less than one colony forming units per gram on SDA, and fungi identified from the placebo samples included members of the genus, and this is why I mentioned it, Cladosporium, Alternaria, Aspergillus, Irpex, Telluromyces, and Gibberella. So, and then on the PDA media, there was an observed, though not significant, increase in fungi recovered from the placebo following heating. I'm going to go through that parenthetical statement. And then they said that fungal genera identified in low potency samples included Cladosporium, Septoria, Didymella, Epicoxum, Alternaria, Lactaria, or Lactara, Gibberella, and Paramyrothesium, Burel. Bulera and Hanella. So this was not just me trying to um, make myself look impressive, but the but the Alternaria and the Septoria, you know, and the Cladosporium. These are all pathogenic fungi. Um, in the air. Mm-hmm. 
So what they're saying is that the sample had nothing on it, and then when they went to heat it up and vaporize it, the atmospheric stuff infected the sample? Is that what's being stated or claimed, or am I misunderstanding? I don't. I, there was something no, there, but so. the heat definitely increased it, is what they're saying. And that maybe yeah. that explains some of the data that I was looking at in the first place. Like, why would 70 second go up or down yeah. in different samples? They are saying that, like the fungi liked it yeah it, some certain it was, just, micro, it was like certain, stimulating but that is disconcerting it's incredible i i mean in the original sense of that meaning like i'm having a hard time believing that 30 seconds yeah. of something is going to have a measurable increase in the the cfus of, i mean what do you think where about did they that, run man? this experiment like, really weird how bad was the air quality in the experiment <laughs> room because like <laughs> if they had one cfu in the bud is what they're saying right here low very low counts averaging one cfu for the samples the placebo samples which were not heated and then they're going to go ahead and say look at this this is mm. the thing that we we're just looking at i mean it's not extremely high but three thousand these are That's acceptable the high- potencies okay but even oh so in michigan i think it's ten thousand. california i think it's ten thousand fifty thousand for like the adult use so that is all of these are acceptable ranges like we were talking about earlier and some of these are extremely low i mean 500 right one thousand and we're right. talking about ten thousand is passable in most states even like the strictest oklahoma ten thousand um so and then they're more looking for if you have one cfu of aspergillum uh, then you fail so it's not just like a general so if any of these were aspergillus, then it would be a fail in California, Oklahoma, and I believe in Michigan as well. So it's uh, interesting. I, I Maybe we'll go to, uh, I think the next thing actually had the composition of yeast and mold counts in the placebo. So um, this doesn't actually give the thing. One of them had the strains listed, I think. If I go down, okay, here, relative percentage of bacterial taxa. So Matthew might, ooh, this is... Well, yeah, we could do the whole premise to me though of 30 seconds of heat could increase populations makes sense to me in that um think of a compost pile. You know, those microbes they get pretty fucking warm temperatures and they get more, they produce faster and, and, and more, you know, to yeah, a certain but, point. But, 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 but see the thing is seconds worth I mean I don't see aspergillus on this uh, list. Obligate parasite. It's not like it's gonna oh, I guess it's on the material, right? But it has to, but see the septoria, it can't, um, it can't colonize, it can't really colonize or grow on dead tissue as far as I understand it. Maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm wrong about that one in particular, but I'm pretty sure it has to be on living tissue to like, um, you know. But are any of the banned ones listed? The only one I know is aspergillus. Like the, um, the ones that are like, if you have one CFU of it, you would get a fail. I don't see aspergillus on this list. This is the list of things that are present when they're actually breaking it down. Some places it doesn't really matter, which is unfortunate because it should. Um, uh, I don't mean to cut in, but are are you guys saying that the the uh, the the test of the CFU count was higher? Yeah, uh, during <laughs> volatilization. Yeah, we, we are saying yeah, in it's a it's volcano. So let's just well, throw no, this specifically thing Brandon, out and, and 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 just wasn't... say that this 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 study is bullshit because that's not how it works. That's interesting. That's an interesting point to make, but it's kind um, of where I've been going with that for a few minutes. Is I have a hard time believing that thirty seconds of heat is going to have a stimulating effect on on bacteria or fungus. 
I mean, no. it, it's got. I don't know. I don't think that's them, what, but it's not going to like these, grow. Them. Look at those bacteria and fungi mentioned aren't like thermophilic bacteria. These things aren't. So aren't you don't think temperature be, has any effect on them? Is what you're saying? Yeah, because thermophiles would destroy them. It would destroy them. It wouldn't increase their their colony forming units. So what you're thinking, maybe it, it, this could almost be like a flashback to one of the cups that happened recently. Um, this is where the, look at potentially I'm, they I'm, vaporized it, and then maybe the scientists handled it with their hands or breathed on it or took it out into an area that had a certain amount I afterwards. Or, really or, or it could just be like my like my wife thinks that they are trying to put out false information because eventually they want to try to make people pasteurize weed because that will take out a lot of small businesses. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that specifically, but I'm sure I'm, I'm aware Old of several words. efforts to try to take out smaller cannabis businesses by making it sort Certainly of certainly easier ways. But yeah. with disinformation is a great tool if used properly. <laughs> yeah, except well, that most people, McKernan, like Brandon, come on, most people. McKernan don't has. Look at this. I will say he has a. Um, there's conflict of interest right here. Kevin McKernan has medicinal genomics, and he does. Kevin McKernan is a reviewer for this paper. In fact. He does cannabis testing for aspergillus and other types of mold, mildews. He even tested cannabis for COVID. He was one of the people who made it so that cannabis could be sold during COVID because if it was going to be, he was trying to prove that it didn't hold COVID on it and transfer it to the person that was being sold to, like in a package or whatever, and uh, made claims that it, it wasn't something that was transferring COVID. But he's done lots of research, but the fact that he works for a company, he owns a company that does lab testing i think that shows at least there's a little bit of conflict of interest but that being said i don't think that it makes it uh 100 like junk science maybe there's something to it, it i just it should be disclosed just this person. So if you read the book it's supposed to the top go up to the top of the page go to the top of the page it's right there reviewed by kevin mckernan and jahan marku hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah but that's interesting that there is frontiers and cellular. There's no way it increases. I you don't vape weed and then and then and then increase. Those are just the, the peer reviewers. They don't really. They're not going to be the ones that are influencing what the articles. Like yeah, exactly. Now. They're just citing. Think, they're just citing McKernan's research in that paragraph. That's all they're you know doing. What? And that's no, why he was invited to be a, re, a reviewer. <laughs> that that actually makes sense. I it's think why they invite people to be reviewers. So like this is they're trying to find people that know what the hell you're talking about in these articles. It's hard to find so if you're just person to know it, that would be a good person to review this. Dude, I doesn't Canada require radiation of all their cannabis? Is it Canada? I don't know if it's required, I mean, but they have a certain testing level that's so low that so many of them consistent like the commercial producers do it. It may be required. Yeah, they have to, even if they don't have anything bad on it yeah maybe they have some ideas in the discussion why don't we look at the discussion section maybe they address this weirdness in a related argument here sort of about this so this is the type of study that starts with an interest it doesn't start with a problem it's not like there's a bunch of immunocompromised people that are getting sick and we got to figure out why they're getting sick. And that led to this research, right? This research started with an interest of like, I'm interested in seeing if, you know, all the bacteria is, is eliminated when we vape, you know, cannabis. Or like how um, much it goes down. That, it, it's just a fundamentally different kind of research. And you should naturally be more, more sort of suspicious of that 
because it, it's where people go to make points. It's where people go to grind axes. So that they have an interest. It could be a, a financial interest or some other interest in, in having this point be made. It's not that they're trying to solve a, a problem or investigate a problem. Yeah, be leery of all of it, Doc. I don't trust anything anymore. <laughs> That's my motto. I think you can analyze these, these things I feel like more or less confident in them. I feel like it's very important to be skeptical because even weird stuff gets passed. And ever since, um, ever since hearing about that, uh, you know, you'll hear about people who to make a point uh, okay. will totally, will submit yeah, research that's totally yeah. wrong oh, on purpose so that it yeah. gets, and it gets through and it's, and it's totally ridiculous. So yeah, it does happen. Eating chocolate makes you lose happen. weight. Yeah. Or tea they- makes you lose weight or whatever. Yeah. If they say trust the science, that's when you ignore the scientists. I don't know about that. <laughs> As a scientist, say that I, I'll push back somewhat on that, but I'm not going yeah. to. I mean, I, I understand why you guys are concerned about this, but it does start to sound like just a rejection of knowledge at a certain point. Yeah. And I, don't I think, think science is so important. Right. And good science is amazing when it's done right. And right. that's why I think we should yeah, evaluate. Yeah. That's why we're highlighting these shows. We've, we've yes. done several shows like this. We're 40 minutes into uh, talking about this specific article. And I think that it's important that we go through it and try and understand it because if laymen and even people with uh, PhD level degrees can't come to an understanding of the conclusions when reading the full paper with the results and uh, discussion, then I think it's going to be tough for you know, the general people in the public to understand yeah. it. So we're all just trying to better understand it. And it may be great science. It may be uh, somewhere in between. And it may just be something that we want to disregard. But I think that it's worth delving into it, seeing what they're claiming, and then trying to figure out how valid it is or isn't. And if it would be something that might replicate or if it is, uh, I think that there's a lot of good That's a good up. point. I'm a big advocate of making sure that we try and um, be skeptical, but also when stuff is done well, accept it because that's what made us <laughs> that's why we're all most of us are growing with leds and they uh we understand like an ec range and a ph range guess who figured that out scientists and uh the reason that we have a warm house and all this other shit it's like science yeah. and engineering has got us to where we live right now in modern society uh so it's not like it's all bad <laughs> like it has saved countless lives and it keeps us all moving forward so definitely uh i'll um want to be pro good science if we want to read, uh, if you want, we could read the, I want to read the like latter half of this first paragraph because traditionally, usually you put all the good, juicy, important stuff in the, in the first part, in the first paragraph, and we'll see. And then if we want to, we should probably move to another research board. What, what do we think? Should we read that last part or should we go? Let's close it out. Way. Let's, Let's close it out. It needs a bow. Okay. So it says with this minimal, I'm sorry, in the very middle, with this minimal microbial background, the placebo was chosen for the spiking experiment to optimize and assess the microbial recovery from cannabis materials. This lack of microorganisms limited enumeration challenges that may occur if there was a high, there was a high resident microbial population to account for E. coli was, uh, or to account for, period. E. coli was used for spiking experiments since it was a marker for fecal contamination and may be encountered in outdoor growing settings and with product handling. And there's some cited research that supports that. The comparison of the amount of E. coli recovered from the spiked product versus the E. coli reference suspension used for the spiking showed that the recovery was 101.7%. 
which is that standard deviation of 20.4% I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. The spiked amount indicating that the recovery technique was efficient for extracting microorganisms for the cannabis materials. That didn't really explain anything, unfortunately. But yeah, why don't we why don't we wrap up and go to another one? Unless we really want to tackle it. I don't want to... <laughs> yeah, I'm good with this one. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's one that we can move on from, and um, it's just interesting. It, it gave us insight that uh, we don't necessarily know everything just yet on that particular thing. So I'm gonna go ahead and X out. Good data point. Good documents. data point. We'll see. We'll see what comes from that. Yeah, and we could always follow up if people, um, you know, are interested. We can look more into it later on. And I think, um, do we want to go with the cannabis do, trichomes? Or go ahead, tell me what we want. I want to do, do. I want. I think we should do. We should do the indoor versus outdoor one. I think a lot of people found that one highly stimulating to talk about. Let's not make the people wait for that one. <laughs> All right. So here we are on uh, Sun Grown Mids page. Shout out to Trevor, I think is his name. Cool guy. General. Trevor Whitka. Yeah. He's uh, interesting. Uh, I like to follow this individual. We've got Matthew with a comment right here. 36 likes on that. So. Matthew, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce this paper for the people? Yeah, no problem. Um, in fact, why don't I do this? Why don't I share my... I have the version of that one, I think. Oh, wait, what's the what's the title? I have it on my database. I think I remember this one. Yeah, I was actually saying that I was hoping that you would show up because you had a good point about... The fact that one of the, um, I think the third author, uh, Tina Gordon, is interest. yeah part of Moonmade Farms, who's a uh, sun-grown person. But I th- again, although the science might not be perfect, I think it's still an interesting uh, research article to go through and discuss, just to see at least yeah. what their findings were. And then there was a and- bunch of there was a bunch of stuff in this in this that threw like a lot of red flags when I when I looked through it. All right, so Matthew, you said you have a copy of it, and then you could go ahead and share the screen, and then kind of give us the backdrop. I just kind of flipped through. And, did you, uh, gave did you hear the part where I, I um, do you have the title? Oh, that's what I'm. I did not uh, find that quite yet. Comparison of the cannabinoid and terpene profiles in commercial cannabis from natural and artificial cultivation. It appears to be posted in Molecules, 2023. So I'm assuming artificial cultivation, they just mean indoor. I think so. And while we're waiting, wouldn't it be different like every year, like wine? That wine, dated wines from different years are way better than other years. That's true. In some regard. Yeah. Like if there's a big fire, for example, I know because my wife purchases a lot of Northern California outdoor or sun grown or greenhouse. And a few years ago, there was a huge fire and the outdoor wasn't as good as it was when, you know, the past year there wasn't major fire. The campsite, campsite Kush, man, had that little smoky flavor. Good stuff, man. (laughs) <laughs> some people like it i guess um, no, I, I think it just yeah. doesn't make it to market like, i didn't i didn't know, come across a lot of it but you just saw a lot less of the product there's so many variables 
I think that would make them fail. Pills. A lot of the fire stuff, probably because yeah. when stuff burns, like trees and stuff, there's all sorts of pesticide. And who knows what was sprayed on, and it, melting plastics and, and metals and things like that. So, also got some potash on on some free fertilizer. All right, looks like Matthew's got it. There we go. I'm gonna show. All up. right, we're here. <laughs> so yeah, so comparison of the cannabinoid and terpene profiles in commercial cannabis from natural and artificial cultivation. The authors are. Zand Karimi, Decatur, Kasali, Gordon, Skibola, and Nichols. And yeah, here are the folks here. Abstract says, interest in cultivating cannabis for medical and recreational purposes is increasing due to a dramatic shift in cannabis legislation worldwide. We already knew this. Therefore, a comprehensive understanding of the composition of secondary metabolites, cannabinoids, and terpenes grown in different environmental conditions is of primary importance for the medical and recreational use of cannabis. We compared the terpene and cannabinoid profiles using gas liquid chromatography and mass spectrometry for commercial cannabis from genetically identical plants grown indoors using artificial light and artificially grown media or outdoors grown in living soil and natural sunlight. By analyzing the cannabinoids, we found significant variations in the metabolic profile, metabolomic, yeah, metabolomic profile of cannabis for the different environments. Overall, for both cultivars, there were significantly greater oxidized and degraded cannabinoids in the indoor grown samples. Moreover, the outdoor grown samples had significantly more unusual cannabinoids, such as C4 and C6 THCA. There were also significant differences in the terpene profiles between indoor and outdoor grown cannabis. The outdoor samples had a greater preponderance of sesquiterpenes, including beta-karyophyllene, alpha-humulene, alpha-bergamotene, alpha-guanine, perhaps, and germacrine B relative to indoor samples. And um, I'm going to go to this. I think they have a pretty swank diagram that we can take a look at. I remember so right off the bat, the first issue is with the authorship, right? A lot of the people are invested in the outdoor grow space. Yep. There's Correct. two farms are that on there that are outdoor farms publishers. And then they're looking at synthetics versus organics. And they're not giving it an even playing field because if they were doing organics indoor under something like LED, uh, and they're doing similar cultivation styles and, you know, making sure that the genetic material was the same. I don't think it had any of that in there. It was like a salt grow in uh, indoor versus an outdoor or organic grow. So, of course, the metabolites of the plant are going to be different. I mean, you can you can change the metabolites by changing the uh, bacterial um, uh, and the fungal colonies that are in the soil because some of those things will change. Uh, the the genetic you know coding expression yeah and stuff like that so i mean inputs by themselves even if devoid of the microbial input you know just nutritional input and media that you're growing in is going to have you know a pattern yeah, effects yeah. right so so immediately those thoughts. things those things right off the bat the combination of that plus the authorship with the conflict of interest just null and voids this whole thing in my opinion but it's interesting it's fun 
yay. I mean, but other that's how I personally is it null and void or is it is it interesting, Brandon? It's it, it's interesting, but I don't think that. But I don't. But I don't think that it. It's like they're trying to make a point to say that outdoor is better, right? Yeah. It has more cannabinoids, more terpenes, but they're not giving it a level playing field, right? They're versing it versus something that's not in the same realm of cultivation. I you know feel like I mean? the title isn't appropriate. I wouldn't have used this title. I understand yeah. how important it is for researchers to like make a catchy, pithy title. I understand that you want, just like everything, you want more people what to is look the at title? it. The title is Comparison of the Cannabinoid and Terpene Profiles in Commercial Cannabis from Natural and Artificial Cultivation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I As if they're growing that. outdoors natural, right? Farming outdoors is is natural. Yeah, that's that was I mean, they're, both, they're, they're both artificial sort yeah, of, both artificial. They're both yeah. constructed. I mean that that for the point that they're trying to make as far as the authorship goes, that's my thing. That's why I say I don't give it any credits. I'll give I'll give it credits, obviously. Um the dynamic between something that's synthetically cultivated and something that is outdoor is going to be dramatically different. But to say that it's better, it's just, that's a fallacy because there's too many factors involved to be able to come to a conclusion. And you can grow indoors so many different ways synthetically. You could. I want to comment on that question of whether it's, it's interesting or sort of not, not worth the time. You know, if we're suspicious of the the reason an article was was written or is being put forward, if it, it may be propaganda rather than science, um, and the line between that's probably not as big as a lot of people would want it to be, um, yeah. it becomes dangerous. We, 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 you know, and I've thought that with some other things when we talk about it, even though everybody is sort of like on board with the fact that we don't necessarily agree with this, or it's not a good thing to do, just sort of breathing life into some of these things. Some people will walk away and think that this is, is sort of decent science. So, I mean, I just like to, to put that out. It would be an interesting question to, to look at how some of these differences affect cannabis but this doesn't seem like a, a study that was well set up to actually draw a and, sort of and, um, verifiable here, conclusions from and here's sure. the issue that i've already seen i've already seen people starting to quote this people that don't oh that, yeah that that are saying oh look at this is why out you know outdoors better blah blah and it's like look yeah. at you you it don't confirms know their bias don't, yeah. yeah and so and so the thing is is it gives on the front, right on the front, it gives a different impression than what it really is. And someone who's not um, versed in understanding white papers or really understanding like cannabis nutrition and stuff like that, for instance, or really understands the cultivation practices for both indoor and outdoor, they're not going to know the difference. And so they're going to yeah, walk me, away with me. the assumption that could yeah. be incorrect. It well, this is bad science in that if, if more than one variable has changed, you know, as a scientist, you don't know how to attribute the, the differences in, in outcome. So exactly. they're saying this is just because we went indoor versus outdoor, but like 17 different things changed. 
and then they're going to yeah. say the one that mattered what, is the one that I say mattered, basically. What right? Let's say why done, it's bad. Let's do that what more. They should have done. I'll tell you what they should have done is grown it in the exact same soil, the exact right. same watering, yeah, and just right. use sunlight and artificial light. That would be one part. And then they yeah. do even other things where they just use all living organic soil in in both, and then both synthetic nutrients with no dirt like just perlite or something like that and another that would be a better uh look at it right even i think so it's not gonna be the sunlight has more effect that we don't understand it makes it right so you can't get it back to saying that it's indoor versus outdoor if you change the lighting if you changed (laughs) all these other things then it's more than just sort of are these plants grown outdoors or are they grown indoors you know, if you're going to try to do this as well as you could set it up, setting up the indoor grow is going to be hard. I'd want to ask those questions about how much, what PPFD are we trying to hit here? Are we doing sort of a, a sunrise sunset sequence? Are we going to try to mimic the lighting that the other plants are getting outdoors? Are we going to go with sort of industry leading practice? is in terms of how much light we're we're applying. There's like a lot of decisions that you have to think through really carefully and in order to understand what you're measuring in the end. And, you know, it's very hard to do something where you could neatly tie up a bunch of different variables like that. So, And even if you do... This is quite clearly sort of interested science, meaning I think that people are trying to make a point that they wanted to make by doing yeah. the experiment this way. I agree with you. And, you know, and even if you do like anyone who knows uh, Karl Popper, right? Like, you know, even if you control all the variables you think matter, you may not be controlling variables that you're not even aware of. Right. And we're, no. we've gotten a lot better at that. Right. But, you know, I'd like to draw our attention to this particularly scientific phrasing here um, where they say that in the study, this is in the uh, discussion section, results and discussion. In the study, yeah. we use commercial cannabis samples that are cloned from a common parent, but which are grown both indoor and outdoor under optimized conditions, is how they put it. They said that the outdoor samples were grown in raised beds using a proprietary mixture of all natural soil and compost under full sunlight. The indoor samples were grown under artificial light in a proprietary growth medium. Yeah, they say more about either of those things, like what the artificial light was or what the proprietary grow medium was. I have to imagine that they do. But one thing that they say as well is that the outdoor samples were stickier to the touch and were much more pungent than the indoor samples. Just want to slide that in there. You know, just want to make that point. Um, The morphology and the the colors of the flowers were similar. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. Are they saying this in the description of the experimental design? This is in the results and discussion section. Okay. Each of the samples was from the same season to to eliminate issues of large differences in age between the samples. Okay. Therefore, we can assess the importance of the two environments of the terpenes and cannabinoids metabolite composition of two cultivars. I mean, aren't the cultivars different between the indoor and outdoor, right, Brandon? They said that that it's cloned. They said it was the same clone. Clones from the same mother. But they said... They did multiple different strains, though. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. But I they, wanted to make sure. They took clones from the same mother for the indoor okay, and the outdoor plants. That's good. Which at least that was standardized, but um, I think the medium not being. Uh, yeah, the media, the fertilization. Well, and when you have a farm that is going to say, hey, we're proprietary, so we're not going to tell you what our soil mix is. And even if we wanted to, we couldn't recreate it because Moonmade and many other farms aren't like uh, 
Bokashi yeah. earthworks necessarily, where they're going to be lab testing it every single week and know exactly what is in the soil. A lot of these people are kind of, you know, going with what they have locally, what works best, but they, it's not an exact science or measurement in that type of cultivation setting. Um, so for them to try and recreate it, a good science you can't I think recreate is recreatable. This. You need to make it like right. a, a bakery where you can go and say, we did this, like yeah. Brandon has YouTube videos of making his soil. He says this amount of quartz or, you know, yeah. gallons of peat and then perlite. It's... And then you can make a mix as a standard base and then disclose that and then use that in the indoor and the outdoor. The thing that yeah. we should do is disclose, discuss what they messed up. They didn't do that. And other things. The whole, control. the whole design is wrong. So if this yeah. was really a research question, which is better or we, I mean, indoor or outdoor cannabis or what are they trying to say? It's not just which is better, but which has more terpenes or which is something like that. The correct way to evaluate that type of a question is with a large sample size not with an experiment. So you would go out and gather a, a huge sample of, you know, outdoor and indoor grown cannabis. And then you would, you'd probably do a randomized sample of what you were able to acquire and you'd measure that. Uh, and that's how you answer questions like that about sort of the real world. Um, you yeah, wouldn't try to I think another, set up a, an experiment where you're growing the plants the same way for that question. I mean, maybe you have another question, like how does this particular input change something or, or removing this particular input change something or whatever, then you would set up a, a specific experiment with the control, keep everything else consistent and change that one thing, measure the results. But I mean, th there's a, this is just a flawed research design from the word go. If, if you were presenting this to like a, a dissertation committee, um, they would tell you that this is not the way you would answer this question. So I just wanted to point out, like, there's a thing called the grow off and the way that they determine the winners. And I know it's not exact science uh, and they have a bunch of different cultivation settings, but their determining thing, if we're going to say, like, what's the best? Well, then they have to set a bar for best. So they had highest cannabinoids overall and then highest terpenes overall. So it was like most potent and then best flavor was the two categories that they had. So in this, if they wanted to just like set an objective out there for that, not to say that that actually makes the cannabis better quality necessarily, but if they're going to put a, a number out there and try and shoot for it, um, at least you have a number then. You could say the indoor produced 30% THC and 4% terpenes. The outdoor produced 25% THC and 8% terpenes. And then the people can decide what they like for themselves. Or maybe it's 35 and, and 5 or something, and it's just outright better in both of those categories. Um, and even in that case, I think sometimes people will prefer the one with the lower numbers. But all that being said, I think... Um, it could be done better. And I think that I'm glad that we're highlighting what's not done right about it. One of the things too, that I, I want to mention is that most science white papers, when they have all the testing met, met, or the methodology on how it's done, they do that so that it can be rep. So it can be replicated. Right. So that, so right. that way the, the, so it can be proven over and over again by another person to be able to measure and get those same results. If you were to yeah. look at this paper, there's no way you could do that because again, yeah. they make it so that it's impossible. So again, it just devalidates this paper and it kind of shows you that like this paper, the last paper, they're both things that I'm looking at like, Hey man, this is probably not, you know, uh, you know good, like valid information. You know, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. So we have to be I would really say 
cautious. This is worse than the first paper. I, I would say that worse. I would. I would say that I had scoured the materials and methods section, but there's not enough materials and methods section to call it such. I did not scour right. anything. This is the entirety of it. I cursorily looked at it and I found this information. Two commercial cultivars of cannabis were analyzed, red velvet and cheetah piss. The outdoor samples were part of the 2021 seasonal and commercial grow by Ridgeline Farms. The indoor samples were grown by grandifloragenetics.com. For RV, which I guess here means Ridgeline Farms, right? Um, and by cookies.com for the CP samples. So they have RV outdoor and CP yeah. outdoor, apparently. The so outdoor samples, I think cookies, and then there was like Moon Valley, as I think another one of the authors on there, which are both outdoor farms. farms. Yeah. The outdoor, the outdoor samples were grown in raised beds using a proprietary mixture of all natural soil and compost under full sunlight, whatever that means. The outdoor, the indoor samples were grown under artificial light in a proprietary growth medium, whatever that means. And I definitely- Whatever or either of those means. Yeah, what whatever. Kind of fertilizers, what kind of what? Like, it, like how do I you have to an actionable- To Berkshire Bud, who's everybody knows from the chat there, but he's been like Skyping me and I keep getting these messages popping up on my screen. He wants to point out that there is like no other description of of how they grow, like Matthew's saying. And then yeah. the sample size for a lot of their call-outs is one plant. How are you at? Right, let, what, let's just what, scrap this. It's junk. Let's move on. So, Throw what, in the actionable, what actionable, der, what actionable der, derivations do you make from this research? What could you possibly derive from this information that would inform your decision? Uh, I've got some lessons that we can all learn. Be yeah, suspicious of sure. this kind of research. <laughs> Right. Be suspicious of that. Look exactly what Brandon did right off the bat and looked at the authors and realized that they had conflicts in that. And that, you know, challenge yourself like, OK, what's the question that they're trying to, to answer? And is this a good way to try to get that answer? I mean, is the, does this make sense what they're trying to do? Um, and, you know, did they set up an experiment that is going to be able to, to sort of give them the, the type of data that they're talking about in their paper. Um, as you can see, a lot of it kind of falls apart after a while. Pretty I'm not easily. familiar with this journal, but Burke also mentioned that this should never have been approved for, for publication. <laughs> and, you know, I'd be interested to talk to Dr. Zandekarini who is the lead author, the, the credentialed academic on this uh, he's just a um, and, and understand sort of, or, or maybe even just do a little research into what, what kind of research he does in general. I was just, yeah. um, but it, it pains me. The rest of the people seem to have interest in, in this going a certain way. I want to wrap this up by saying that it incredibly pains me to say this because despite all of this um, totally, and I think, I'm, I have no problems or qualms with being critical because this criticism is constructive. Um, I've had Moon Made Farms product before. It's really good. It's yeah. Really good. It's really, really good. I want to just make that point. I just want to Pretty say it's some of the best I've ever had. That's the you know, other I, side of this. That doesn't make the research um, valid. And I think that that's why it's so painful to me because I think that in a more more better uh, constructed <laughs> research, I think they would still do really good. But I don't, you know, this is not really the comparison that the title sort of talks about. So let's go to the next one. Maybe the Bouveria one would be best. Yeah, I think that'd be a good one if you want to pull it up. 
Yeah, that the one that. that I put in the chat. Yes. Yeah, oh, man. That was a good one. I like that one. I will say that good diagrams too. A lot of markets now have legal testing, so the consumers are already sort of voting with their dollars and and purchasing things based on test results, whether it's terpenes or cannabinoids, and uh, they're seeing. You can look at the sales. How much We're sales be- of indoor? How much sales of outdoor? And um, people like their certain brands, and a lot of people float to one or the other. And some people like myself enjoy both, and greenhouse and everything in between. So, so I I really like this paper one because I'm a huge huge fan of Bavaria Bassiana. I use it. It's part of my SOPs for all of the people that I work with. Um, it's one of the things that you know is just it's just it's I love it. I just love it. It's a great uh, bio control agent and being able to see um, some of this uh, research that I had found on, you know, how it changes its uh, metabolism is uh, pretty awesome. And it also shows that it can have benefits beyond what I originally uh, was using it for. So it can also help suppress, you know, other pathogens and not just be an insect path pathogen. Good point. And uh, Matthew, do you want to okay, introduce this article? Or does, yeah, uh... I feel like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like there, I should do an iceberg video about this, uh, Bouveria Bastiano. Like there's surface level stuff people understand. And then there's stuff, you know, below the, the surface that, you know, people don't realize. So yeah, I'll talk about the abstract here. It says fungal pathogenicity toward insects has independently evolved several times, resulting in specialist and generalist pathogens some of whom have maintained aspects of their previous lifestyles. This will be very important for Bavaria. Being able to grow as an endophyte, which means inside the plant, engaging in a mutualistic interaction with plants, or a saprophyte by recycling nutrients back into the environment, the generalist or broad-range host, uh, broad-host range fungus Bavaria bassiana does not need to rely on insect hosts to complete its life cycle. Very crucial. The diverse lifestyles of this fungus, saprophyte, pathogen, and symbiont, which is sort of unnecessary to say, but whatever, provide a unique system with available genetic tools to examine host-pathogen interactions, plant-fungus mutualistic relationships, and fungal development. This commentary highlights overlooked uh, pathogenic and mutualistic aspects of Bouveria bassiana that assist this fungus in shifting along the saprobe parasite mutualist continuum, addressing these knowledge gaps and scrutinizing valuable players driving such a spectrum of ecological interactions will enrich our knowledge of fundamental environmental microbiology and help develop new approaches to pest control and sustainable farming. You know, I love to talk about this thing. It's the number one thing that people get wrong about the microbiome, which is that things can change and things can change dramatically. And it doesn't necessarily matter if it's an aerobic environment or an anaerobic environment. Um, you know, it really, it really can happen for reasons that you have no control over. And sometimes they can be facilitated. Um, so, yeah. So here's this really cool diagram. I could explain it. I could read the whole figure description here. But um, I think it's a great way of showing all the different things that Bouveria can do. The first sentence in this figure one says, it's the transition of Bouveria bassiana along the saprobe mutualist parasite continuum. So it's, a, it's naturally present in soil, 
and they can get established in plants, as you can see here, which can have plant immunity effects, and they can interact with beneficial insects via volatile organic compounds. That's what VOC stands for here. You can interact with insect pests for, in obvious ways by killing them via the production of volatile organic compounds, or maybe as a signal, as a facilitator for those as signals for beneficials by creating toxins and by directly parasitizing their bodies. And um, yeah, here's an example of them growing on a on a on a caterpillar here. And yeah, it penetrates to the cuticle, it gets into the body and infects it. So it so lipid assimilation hydrolysis. So it basically dissolves the cuticle, it dissolves the fats in the insect that's really bad for that insect, gets into the hemocele, which is basically the the blood guts of the, the squishy insides of the insect, and then it produces toxins and kills it, right? Then it, as you can see, it fluffs over with a bunch of mycelium and spores. It produces a bunch of antagonistic compounds in order to achieve that objective. And then it recycles those nutrients back into the soil, right? Similarly, if a, when a plant dies, the plant litter decomposes and there's a saprophytic effect as well. So Bavaria has these effects. And to be quite honest with everyone here, this is what I'm trying to be uh, very articulate about with regards to some of our pathogens. Some of these endophytes in our plants, they're beneficial for the plant while it's there, and then they decompose the plant. This is how powdery mildew and various and some other pathogens got their start. They from, they're from ancestors that did one of the things, and then they got really good at doing the other thing over yeah. evolutionary timescales. So. Yep. Yeah, and it's so and that. it's interesting, and it's interesting too because uh, I think that there's a lot of different types of microorganisms that people don't realize they can change their modes of metabolism. You know, trichoderma, yeah. trichoderma, even your you own cells, ferment. you can ferment trichoderma to you know produce more trichoderma. Like people don't normally think about that; they think of that as a stratophytic fungi. You know, that's in, in just in aerobic soils, breaking down organic matter, but there's different, like all of these, it's, it's, it's wild at, you know, how, when they need to change, they can adapt. And then these things are so highly adaptive in nature. I want to say that, um, although that, that is true that they can adapt quite a bit, that um, they already have these functions. They don't necessarily create new functions that they didn't already have. They already had it latent, latent, latently. And when they are exposed to an environment for which they have the genetic repertoire to handle, um, then they kind of over. go that route. They switch yeah. over. Yeah. Like, yeah. and also if you ferment or if you produce some of these microbes as biocontrols and you, you get them on a substance that is not their host, like an insect host, for example, mm -hmm. then they actually will lose those traits. It's been found. And I've talked about this several times on the show. You got to be careful. And I think I saw uh, where they were doing stalled state fermentation and they were using insect chitin as yeah. the substrate. So that way they wouldn't lose efficacy on the, uh, the process. Yeah. Cause that would help them like that would, that would um, sort of incentivize keeping or selecting essentially for them to continue to be able to degrade the cuticles of the, of the uh, insect exoskeleton, for example, but on the same, by the same, token though there's other aspects besides you know cutin degradation like uh challenging the immune system of the insect where if they don't get to do that if you don't refresh the the colony with this sort of genetic um uh, uh admixture 
then you'll start to get, you'll start to have a bite with no teeth, if that makes sense, because insect selection pressures are, as we all know, um, uh, highly, highly pressurized. And so, yeah, you could, you could fall behind the wayside if you don't do it right. Or if you're sourcing it for somebody who just like grows it on agar and they're just like, hey, got you some buveria, you know, it might not be as effective. But this requires several generations, right? So there are, there are such things as like auto inoculation traps, which are these fantastic devices where basically you bait a trap and then you, um, you dope it with Bavaria spores and then insects come in, like maybe house flies or something, and they get all those spores all over them, way more than they need to have a very lethal encounter. And then they go, they fly around and they die somewhere else. And then they establish in the local environment, it's sort of an uncontrolled way to do it. But I've, but there's some interesting ways that they've been deployed. They've also been deployed um, on the, on the bodies of like predatory mites. And then they deploy the mites and then the spores get transferred onto some pests. I think I saw this with scale and mealybug in a research report. And it caused uh, severe mortality, even though the predatory mice won't go after the mealybugs. It was just simply by walking over their bodies, enough of them got transmitted. So cool, uh, novel techniques like that, I think, are very interesting and very a very clever way to make use of this organism. Not only that, but the endophytic effects like Brandon was talking about. Because yeah, my understanding, my understanding too, as as an endophyte, if you have a large colonization within tissue, if you get an insect that essentially penetrates the the cuticle leaf and ingests some of these um, these microbes, then essentially they are able to be parasitized that way as well. Spartan, yeah, what exactly. Uh, Want to say there? I was wondering if the BB ever uh, has been known to parasitize uh, like predator, predator bugs. Sometimes, especially like soft-bodied insects um, that are very closely related to like, like, like uh, Arias, for example, minute pirate bugs and things like yeah. that. Yeah, that does happen. And, and they also can colonize some other things too. So it's important to consider. I think that's actually one reason why America why the United States is not keen to use Bouveria in that. Um, I think that in Europe, they might use it with honeybees or bumblebees. I'm forgetting now on in the moment, but they might actually dose some of these pollinators with the Bouveria for some reason or another. I forget why. And over here, we're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> we, we don't want to, we don't want to play with fate there. To spell it out, I sorry, that was vague. I, what I mean is that they could get colonized and it might be bad for the bees. Yeah. Or or other pollinators that uh, that visit the flowers afterwards, right? So that's a that's a way that pathogens um, get around. Actually, uh, is on flowers. It's like, um, well, I don't want to make any sort oh. of uh, I don't want to I don't want to make any rude comparisons, but I think. I think you can use your imagination. Um, yeah. Well, what was in my mind was like, if it's in your IPM already to be using some predator bugs that Bavaria is known to uh, be able to um, infect, then you can kind of ineffectively, if you just continue with your program, 
you might be able to make that BB, the Bavaria bassiana, persist for longer because it can kind of survive off your predator bugs. That's an interesting idea. I like that. Like on top of on top of that, I I want to I want to mention that although a lot of people are familiar with obviously the anti-pest aspect, um, and there's some more there's some direct effects right where they like literally just antibiosis they kill the the organism they parasitize it but there's also these other interesting like knockoff effects right like uh like these uh signaling compounds that are produced um you also have promotion of, of nutrient transfer even and the bioprimming of plant hormones certain ones and so that can have just generally you know growth enhancing effects to the plant of course i always like to caution that if you don't have the right stuff where you do it in a certain environment where that might not have been the greatest thing, you know, you can have, um, you can have things prime in the wrong direction or in a way that might have uh, negative effects, but how much and to what degree is really the crucial question. That's very hard to really, you can't really ascertain that, like just by looking at the plant, right. You have to, that's why this, re that's one reason why research like this is so important. And that's it, unless anyone has anything else to say about that. Yeah, Bavaria bassiana is a fun one. That's one of the things that we usually uh, keep on hand over at Bokashi Earthworks. All right. And yeah, again, this was Ortiz Urquiza, Urquiza. Yeah, no interesting review, Matthew. I don't want to be like silent is is not interesting. It's just less sort of controversy when like research is well done and well presented. Exactly, yeah. right? Exactly. So we had the, it's not as much fun to talk about at a certain <laughs> level, but it's it's very informative and important nonetheless. No, I appreciate it. Doesn't it doesn't evoke as much discussion because we don't no. have so many things to go through and say, hey, they did this wrong. Maybe they should have done right. this a different way. And uh, you know. I don't know. We all I, agree, I, basically. <laughs> we've seen it in uh, Brandon's personal experience, your personal experience, Matthew, and, and many others out there who've put it to use uh, on their plants. And uh, I think that it's cool to see some science backing up what a lot of people are using. That's perhaps why they were using it in the first place, because I think that there's already a fairly substantial volume of science supporting the use of Bavaria bassiana and uh, different cultivation settings, if you can afford to and reasonably apply it to your plants. Have to agree. So what's our next one? What does what does the chat want? Do we know? It's been yeah, so hard let's to let's go to mine. I want to show show the like pictures of mine. Then I think we will want to take a look at that one. Oh, and that's the that's the cladosporium one, right? Exposure yeah. in vitro to yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll I'll share the screen for that. Share screen. It's share. just uh and yeah, I didn't get too too deep, but it's they're not even adding it to the soil. They just put it next to the plant. It's so crazy. But if you scroll down, look at the controls compared to the one that they introduced this product or whatever, this fungus next to. That's what really makes me, uh, I'm trying to get a sample of the shit. Boom. Looks good in agar and even on the uh, plants in the pots. Yeah, the plants there. So this is exposure in vitro to an environmentally isolated strain, TCO9 of Cladosporium 
Spherospirum triggers plant growth, promotion, early flowering, and fruit yield increase. It's a bacterium. What's uh, What family is it in? Does it say? I believe Cladosporium is a... Do we have it here in the abstract really quickly? For I think reference? it's a fungus. Should be a fungus, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there Just it is to be sure. cup. Yeah, I think I it's this it says fungal growth like right here. A, yeah, fungal growth. Oh, this is like a mycorrhizal? No, Brandon, uh, no. just free living. Yeah, it's a separate yeah. living thing that they put next to the plants. And Nick, um, it's like a saprophyte that lives in the soil. Fucking believable. They don't even put it in the soil. So the, no, the it's in vitro. So it's derivation stage, and and uh, how long does it stay in in contact? I don't remember that. This was an article we read a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they change. I think they did it uh, two different ways, three different ways. I didn't. Um, yeah, I'd have to re relook at it, but say the abstract once. Should should uh should we? I'll go. I'll read the abstract. Yeah, go for it. I go can read the abstract, Matthew, if you want. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Oh, I I don't mind. Uh, no, a growing just... number. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to do it? Not if you want to. Go ahead. Okay. A growing number of bacteria and fungi have been found to promote plant growth through mutualistic interactions involving elements such as volatile organic compounds or vox. Here, we report the identification of an environmentally isolated strain of Cladosporium spherospirum, herein named TC09, that substantially enhances plant growth after exposure in vitro beyond what has previously been reported. When cultured on Murashige and Scoob, MS, medium under in vitro conditions, tobacco seedlings, Nicotiniana tobaccum, exposed to TCO9 cultures for 20 days, increased stem height and whole plant biomass up to 25 and 15 fold respectively over controls without exposure. TCO9 mediated growth promotion required more than five grams per liter sucrose in the plant culture medium and was influenced by the duration of exposure ranging from one to 10 days, beyond which no differences were detected. When transplanted to soil under greenhouse conditions, TCO9 exposed tobacco plants retained higher rates of growth. Comparative transcriptome analyses using tobacco seedlings exposed to TCO9 for 10 days uncovered differentially expressed genes, DEGs, associated with diverse biological processes, including cell expansion and cell cycle, photosynthesis, phytohormone homeostasis, and defense responses. To test the potential efficacy of TCO9 mediated growth promotion on agricultural productivity, pepper plants, capsicum annum, of two different varieties, cayenne and mini sweet, were pre-exposed to TCO9 and planted in the greenhouse to monitor growth, flowering, and fruit production. Results showed that treated pepper plants flowered 20 days earlier and yielded up to 213% more fruit than untreated controls. Altogether, the data suggests that exposure of young plants to Cladosporium, Spherospirum, produced vox and and may provide a useful tool to improve crop productivity interesting 
It's certainly interesting. I need to know a little bit more about this sucrose that they're adding. Um, I, I mean, point. it may answer one of the questions, although it, that's what I was going to say not too. Because- likely to. Which is, where's the energy coming from? I mean, plants can't just suddenly become much more efficient at, at capturing photons and growing faster than they otherwise would. They can do it for a while, but at the expense of something else, right? And like, you know, giving somebody methamphetamine to make them work harder, you know, work for a few <laughs> days. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not like a long-term solution to like, you know, get healthier, more productive workers. Um, I feel like it's so yeah no so there's just a question of how do you make a a machine more efficient or are you adding more energy and it looks like in a certain sense they might be adding more energy I feel like it's very similar to like your own cells with the different kinds of respiration right like you can do you know very um, you know aerobic and anaerobic respiration right you can do the anaerobic stuff but only for so long and then you start to have problems Right. Oh, right. And, and yeah, there's just a limited amount. You can't just like turn off the volume unless you're turning up yeah. the, the energy from some some place. So, so it's 30 grams per liter, according to the Sigma Aldrich, St. Louis, Missouri, United States, S5391, whatever that is, was prepared with pH adjusted to 5.8, 1N, KOH, prior to addition of seven grams per liter gelling agar from sigma a7 921 the medium was then autoclaved so that doesn't have to do with the sucrose but to answer your question that is at least what they gave in the materials and method sections i mean the sucrose is not an effective way to sort of replace plant energy anyways the sucrose are usually feeding you know microbiology in in the in the container that you're growing in the media, you're not not sort of like providing direct energy to the plant that way. There was an interesting study. But it could be, it could be, it could have a biostimulating effect though, where the microbes are maybe creating something like a sediophore, which is chelating some of the mineral nutrition that's in that media already. And that's where that's not energy. Yeah, siderophore. Those, is I mean, not that's, that's not carbohydrates. That's not photosynthate. That's is not it, the sucrose, sucrose itself is. But I don't think the plants can sort of absorb sucrose and use it for energy. No, no, no. Like I'm, the way I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that um, the biology might be utilizing that, creating metabolites that are maybe chelating some of the mineral. Oh, okay. Like, uh, like, saying, the, like how, uh, like a regular mutualism, right? The plant sugars are often sucrose gets put exuded out of the roots. They eat that up and then they do stuff with it. And then some of those, it, uh, some of those this products- to me screams out that there was a suboptimal soil as far as like the ones I'll just scroll down and show the images that I'm kind of thinking of to describe what I'm talking about. Oh, so you've got these control. Control on the left. And then you've got the ones on the right. It's going to be like trichoderma and and iron. Like trichoderma producing sediophores that help with iron uptake. That's a really good example. But like just as an example, um, I have had plants where the soil maybe didn't have a good enough microbial load to allow the nutrients to be uptaken by the plant. So when I added microbes, I could see directly they exploded in growth and they were 
more green versus like the yellowish before. And I didn't add any nutrients. I just added water and microbes and the microbes increase the growth. And I use it across all of my plants now, but I had similar results like this, where I'd have plants on the right thriving, crushing it. And the plants on the left, um, I don't know if the color of what the stuff is difficult. I have like a yellow kind of hue on my screen because after a certain time, my uh, oh, you have goes. flux on. Yeah. But I, um, I don't know. Does any, do the plants on the left look more yellow and the plants on the right? Look no, more actually green? I don't, th we're not looking, we're not getting the flux, which is interesting. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it might just be the reflection or the, the lighting there, maybe a little bit, Jack, but not, not really. No. Yeah, I will say a difference. I will say that I feel like you bring up a really good point about uh, both Dr. Coco and also Jack here about how like. And, you know, I think this is like a thing that a lot of people like when you say, oh, you used a plant growth horm uh, hormone or they use some sort of you know, bad thing that made the plant grow really quickly, but, you know, it doesn't have a lot of nutrients. Like that's a criticism people levy at agriculture, right? You grow the plant too fast, quote unquote, and you don't get enough nutrient load into the produce itself. But when oh, yeah. you do it with a microbe, suddenly, oh, that's great. That's good. Even though the physics of what's happening are identical right, right. practically, right? Like if it grows faster, yeah. that's good yeah. for some things. But Isn't not the problem things. though with so, the, those two plants though, the TC09 plants definitely look healthy and they, they look yeah, like they normal look, growth. They just look like more say, of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, like, I thought Jack was going in a different direction. I can't believe nobody's taught like what, what Tao opened with and what this article is claiming is that it's from VOCs. It's not like it's right. Like, they're not even putting it on the soil. They're just putting it, it next to the plants and letting it smell it like. And, it only and it's making this change. They're saying, "Yeah, this is crazy." Can we magnify that? Can we find that somewhere? I I like to, I like to understand how they work. I'm gonna that, try. That's really weird. That's really. Cool. I'm trying to get his get this shit. I want to see. What and it's just deal, during right? the the tissue culture, right? Well, propagation. The people in vitro. So. So listen, my um, BioEgg has this stuff and they're doing, they're testing it right now. That's how I learned about it. And then I found this paper. So I'll throw that out there first off. Shout okay, out to cool. the BioEgg and Bob Faust and those guys, but they're doing experiments right now. They're putting it in cloning domes and they're saying that's where they think that would be the best opportunistic in, in uh, propagation of clones. Yeah. So okay. I don't know what's going on at all, but I'm saying if what, just by... If if half if they get cut the results in half and it's only like twenty percent quicker and twenty day like whatever you know cut all the numbers in half it's still an outstanding improvement and God only knows how it all works you know like I was saying um, maybe there's some weird ass quorum uh, sensing I want going to on. know how it all works <laughs> yeah weird ass quorum sensing <laughs> so so okay I just want to I just want to understand because the way that you put it is so fascinating. So, so they're putting it elsewhere and just the VOCs, man, this would have been great for a diagram. Fungal cultures uh, were then removed and it talks about exposure for one, four, 10 or 20 days. Vessels contaminated or containing medium only treated as zero day served as control. So it's talking about how they're side by side. It's, it's describing it here. Vessels containing medium only were treated as zero day and served as a control. All plants were allowed to grow continuously in the vessels until 20 days after introduction of fungal cultures when growth was measured. The experiment was conducted two times. Okay. Okay. Huh. 
I, I don't know why I'm not, uh, I'm not getting the, the picture of, of what, what Tao is describing, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to make that connection. Yeah, the, the, the fungus is put in a cup and the VOCs that come off of that fungus are, you know, introduced to the plant right. for 10 days and then they take it away. And the results are for the rest of that show. plant's life, it's like a it's supercharged. Yeah. It's like primed. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so you could just take the fungus out of this equation, just use the box. Right. You could get a spray. Right, right. And they were talking about they don't know if they can measure or evaluate all the VOCs, if it's a differing. Like, yeah, it's crazy though. They're just that the is neat. there's something going. Yeah. There's some this is a too good something, to be true to Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why I'm intrigued big time. I Something feel like going on, though. this is that bio you know, think I'm about like about. yeah Maybe. steroids or anything else that sort of makes things grow faster there's always a cost it comes at, at some expense because there's a limited amount of, of sort of energy and resources and it, you know if you push biological organisms in different ways it comes with with a cost it's hard to believe that you can just expose something to like you know smell something as a baby for a few days and and that that's gonna gonna have these these effects. I, I can't yeah, cheat I physics. And here's where it says physics. it in plain English, Matthew. It says germinated pepper seedlings were exposed to closure containing TCO9 while culturing on MS medium in GA7 vessels for 20 days, and then transplanted in, uh, to soil in eight-inch pots. Plants were maintained in greenhouse using standard management practice. Now, all the I different plants are treated the same way. Same fertilizer, nice. same watering, same wow. climate, same whatever. Yeah. That's that's interesting. That is interesting. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, maybe not the best metaphor, but like if you or analogy, I should say, but like there are things that can happen in your in your young life that maybe affects how you do things. In the, I'm, I'm talking mentally mostly, but like, um, you yeah, know, I, mean, I, I guess we don't know what we don't know. So I guess, that's like, but I, yeah. I think. I think it's true though that like I mean here's the thing this is I think this does really relate to that that biopriming thing that I always talk about which is that like if you prime too much in one direction if you happen to be able to do that like in this case if that's what's happening if you're basically causing some sort of an input to direct or stimulate growth in a certain way like that might on the surface look good until that plant is challenged in a way that if it grew slower perhaps more solidly in certain ways yeah. like maybe then that then maybe it will be um more vulnerable to things like yeah. pests or environmental stressors like i think i like what dr coco is saying here is that yeah like and like i said you can't cheat physics there has got to be some sort of a cost to this plants are really good at partitioning off costs um for fighting off all kinds of stuff and also growing at the same time they can't stop they got to do both at the same time um, usually yeah. for some way, shape, or, or form. So, but agronomically, I'm, I'm naturally averse to doing things well. that make plants be behave in ways that they don't normally behave. I, I like to sort of give plants what they're asking for, as opposed to and, and trust the plant to be an efficient allocator of energy. Um, not you don't, you don't necessarily try. I don't like I'm plant growth regulators for the same reason, and try to sort of. I don't know. But you why know, are you okay with manifolding your plant then? That's regulating it more there you than go. It on its own. 
it's it's interesting to make that comparison. <laughs> well, that, that's definitely, I mean, a, a different sort of interaction with the plant in terms of growing it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, giving it the, the structure that wouldn't otherwise have. But you know, why do we do it? But you know, you're, you're getting to the point. I think you're right, though. Both you of are, Say it again. Why do we do? So you no, know, you say your point. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was just, I was just uh, agreeing with both of you that like the answer to that question is why do you do that? And the other answer to that question, or maybe the question for that answer is, you know, why would you think to do it? Why would you want to do it? And if you know what is happening in the plant physiologically, maybe you do that cost benefit analysis and you're like, like in Dr. Coco's case, sure, you are doing something quote unquote unnatural, but it's a lot more, it's a, it's a lot less of a, um, stretch from what it would normally be doing whereas maybe in this case maybe the truly fantastic and i'm glad you brought this up tau like astronomic growth maybe that's a little too much there's actually um both cases are doing it to try and increase yield i mean look yeah, at this one it, it says it increasing it will early flowering but and fruit yield increase so yeah, in dr it, mj's case he wouldn't just manifold it and top it for the yeah. sake of having fun with his plants he's doing it to get a uniform canopy of buds and get the right. best yield of uniform tops in his grow space and as quickly as possible uh, for the plant count numbers that we are allowed here in california so mm -hmm. it makes sense that he does that type of training if we had no plant count he might grow differently he might grow more plants yeah. and not have to top them and shape them out that way but per our plant count regulations it makes sense for somebody to you know maximize the ability for one plant to uh, produce more on a single plant and if you're growing indoor and maybe you have less pest pressure maybe that what maybe the point i just brought up about biopriming in the wrong direction doesn't matter when you're getting 200 yield <laughs> maybe that but, doesn't well, matter you know so hold on Let, let's step back and realize that this is tobacco and peppers and they're only talking about quantity. So I, I'd, yeah, I'd want yeah, to that's see what happened with cannabis in the first place. Right. I'd love to test the heat of the pepper and the, the nicotine. Yeah, the what happened to these peppers? Are they as good as other peppers? Or are they kind of like, you know, the mids, yes. It's they like the same concentration of minerals and vitamins and all the rest of that, too. But um, you're and, really you know, in cannabis, does the pepper. cannabis have the same cannabinoids? It was kind of like yeah. earlier we were talking about um, with, you know, growing uh, with certain types of agriculture. It's not that it was grown with synthetic fertilizer that makes the tomato you get at the supermarket different than the tomato that your buddy grows in his backyard. The difference is that they pick it two, three, four weeks early when it's green. Yeah. They ship it with ethylene and that ethylene turns the product from green to red, and then they put shellac on it and they put that on the shelf so it looks nice and shiny and red. And if you test yeah. it, for the nutrients, it is so it's almost nothing. It's like a big ball of water with a tiny amount of micro, micronutrients versus a one that was grown on the vine. Whether you grew it with salt or organic inputs, the home grower who takes it all the way to harvest where it's vine ripened and they pick it and they eat it that night, the amount of nutrients that they're getting in their body, it's that one tomato covers like 10 store-bought tomatoes. It's ridiculous, yes. the difference yeah. of quality. So when they're just looking at quantity like doc had mentioned it is important to consider that secondary metabolites exist whether it's fruit uh, tobacco or yeah, right. peppers and they're often 
some of the things that we value the most and the reason that we actually consume them. They might make a case something's got to get for us. Right? Yeah. If you all, all like faster, better, bigger, tastier, yeah. more nutritious, silver bullets, none of the cost, you know, all half of the benefits the time, half the cost, just it slices like, and dices. Let it smell something for a few days. That's the snake oil yeah. guys. That's, I, I that feel like, and, I really like that point that you made, Jack, and also you, Dr. Kogu, because like at this and like and if we look at some of the other research we looked at as a comparison with the, the methods are not so great, you know, I could totally see the, you know, the cladosporium version of that, right, where it's all like, well, let's test them out, but we're going to let the, um, the cladosporium stuff, we're going to let the fruits ripen and the other stuff, you know, the store bought ones that doesn't do that, we're going to just cut that off you know, green, and then we'll look at the nutrients. Like, no, 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 you got, <laughs> you got to compare the process also because it's all apples contextual. to apples, so to speak. Yes. With exactly. that being said, it is that hour where I pass it to Spartan Already? Grown. And uh, I know with science, it goes by quick. We spent a lot of time on that first article and I think a lot of them, it's just so easy to get lost in it. But uh, I got to get Spartan Grown a little bit of a chance to refill his tray, take care of his dogs. If He's actually not at his own house tonight, so maybe he won't have to do as much. But I know you got the Michigan Bros Grow Show coming up in about 15 minutes. So I want to let you get your final thoughts and shout outs in before you get running here. Thanks, Jack. Um, it was awesome to be on the panel like every week. And I you know, really enjoyed this show. There's a lot of good information here. Um, but yeah, man, I think if uh, those pepper quality, I think no matter what, it's better than the Dispo peppers. So that's probably a little bit better than mids would be my guess. And hey, there's a big market for that. So yeah, not, not in a lot of the connoisseur market, but that's, hey, there's there's people that like just, they don't need the highest level of everything. They're just getting into the market. So it could be somebody's medicine could be, you know, hey, I can grow your medicine for a month or the matter of I can spray this for a week, two weeks in your clone dome and you just grew your medicine for two months. That's, that's kind of big. I don't know. It's interesting. It'll be cool to see, see what happens with it. But uh, shout out to chat. Chat has been pretty active today and uh, it's cool to see us grow, man. Shout out to us in 200, 200 episodes. I don't think we really went over that and I've kind of glossed over it a little bit, but man, 200 episodes, that's, these are, it's a weekly show. So that's 200 weeks. That's, four years that's, yeah yeah that is that's impressive four so, years. Um, pat you guys on the back it's fucking been a great journey i hope we do you know double that we, we crush it so uh keep on keeping on keep on growing grows love love you guys and uh, we'll see y'all next week Thanks Thanks for next for always a pleasure and uh yeah 200 it's been a really fun time the only uh, thing that I plan on changing or doing any differently is I want to do like a can of Jeopardy one night just front. I, I tried to get it ready before this episode, but I wasn't, I was so busy. I mean, I didn't even show up to last week's episode. I uh, things have been crazy with life and travel, but whatever. It's a, a good position to be in. But other than our regular like science episodes and grow talk and uh, chat QA slash, uh, you know, panelists jumping on with the link, I think it'd be fun to have like a bunch of different categories that are cannabis related grow related like strain history type stuff you know me that's my first place that i go but uh we could make it fun and i think it could be uh, another once i get the format laid out it could be something that you know you could do like the raise hand feature in zoom or just physically raise your hand if you're on the camera and uh answer the questions and i think it'd be a fun little change of pace and experience for the people out there but i guess we've got about uh five or six minutes left do we want to jump into another article at all or uh what do you guys where do you want to take it from here do i want to go back to the article that we were just on mm, 
I feel like it's dangerous. If we go to another article, it might be really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, but this one I think we're pretty much done. Like I yeah. I'm dumbfounded. Uh, I want to investigate it. That's where I'm at with that shit. I want to investigate it anyway. Yeah, so I have a I'm question really for the audience, I guess, and the chatters can answer this. Like, would you would you be excited about this as a new offering from your local dispensary? Like, if they were like, now we're growing this, is what, what do we call it? The the bud that's been exposed to <laughs> TC09. Yeah, it's that new strain. Yeah, we got like the new TC <laughs> with that new strain. Is that going to be? Is that going to be something that you're interested in trying out, like from the dispensary? Because that's who's going to want to use this, I think. And and then my my second question, I guess, different question would be thinking of it as a home grower. Is this something that that you would want to try on your own plants? Um, that's a yes curious to sort of what the reactions are out there. How different is it from like micro plus or mammoth microbes or one of these other things that people pour into their plants and get stimulated? In this case, it's the same kind of thing, massive amount, but it's different. It, yeah, but it, you only give <laughs> yeah. it during the, the first ten days of propagation and then never again. Twenty, and... 20 days, right? Yeah, twenty days. That's impressive, though. That's impressive, but it's. I think that the, I think like Dr. Coco says, there's a. Uh, there's a physical response that's happening. There it probably a has a, clear, has a strong be. staying effect, right? I mean, for it to be inoculated just for that 10 or 20 days at the very beginning, and then for it to have such a substantial effect that it continues right. to grow so, so strong all the way through the yield. A lot of immune responses are not that long. Yeah, a lot of times it lasts a few hours or a few days. Yeah. Wait till the second week of flower and then introduce it when they're just putting on their buds and then let that growth explode. Bam, boom. Right. What I think might have happened the memory is this genetic memory somehow? I have is no it, idea. Doc. I yeah. think what happened is it maybe the We're roots it got a better root base. Think about if your plants, if you have two plants side by side and one's mm. in a cup, and you fuck up the roots just a little bit on the transplant, that plant will be slower than the rest of the ones that you transplanted perfectly the rest of the time. So those two that were in like the little control cups, they just never got as strong of a start. So this thing helped them get that strong start and they were yes. more vigorous from the get-go and they just never slowed down. So it's I like, don't know if it would grow along the with the roots. Maybe it grows along the root with the roots and out in the real world somehow. I don't know. It could be yeah, the phylosphere or the yeah. soil. I Who wonder knows, if man. like might be alien. I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like this, you know, people, you know, this is how I feel about last symbiosis. Like people think like, oh, the microbes are helping the plants. Mm, is that true? Is are or is it stimulating like in the same way that you might, you know, give something shock therapy? Okay. Right. Yeah, that sounds very uncomfortable, right? But like or the whip for these... the horse, man. I mean, the whip yeah. the horse doesn't like getting whipped in the ass, but like right. the, the or a human on steroids too. It's know? an effective right. uh, training tool aid. You get roid rage and then your plants beat you up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then it's like feed me, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I, just feel like... I started oh, yeah. a war in chat guys i'm sorry uh -oh. chat don't but no i'm teasing oh, no. but i it's actually i was interesting reading these responses there's definitely some people that that are willing to to throw it into their garden um you know right off the bat so let me find somebody that that said that like lone star larf said he'd throw it in his garden and smoke your own came right back with all that you run it first which seems to be sort of the <laughs> the sentiment 
so um yeah a lot of people i think don't don't believe it and i will say i respect tao's ability to believe in in anything cannabis related he believed in that little runty shitty ass plant <laughs> yeah, for like yeah a that. year and a half and it never I grew past a foot tall it. and it just died <laughs> eventually <laughs> yeah but, yeah, but you know says i should drink it i'm gonna get a sample and drink it on camera to show you guys how see oh yeah that's Didn't worth it just to see you on camera, Tao. <laughs> That's why this was a good episode to have our 200th episode be. It was. It was. It was a good, solid episode. I like that we had a mix of uh, critical, you know, not so good science, and I think some pretty good science as well, and just kind of demonstrating where the pitfalls can be, because a lot of these articles get passed around and posted, and, and like I showed. Uh, screenshotted on Instagram and then made into like a 10 slide thing and then maybe linked with the art authors, maybe not, but it becomes this giant further discussion in the cannabis community and then sort of accepted as fact and then never discussed again. And a lot of people take that in their mind and say, outdoor is better than indoor, I guess. So yep. that's my new way of looking. I'm going to start buying outdoor. It's cheaper. It's proven in the scientific yeah. study. I read it. Well, I think it's important for us to be able to take 45 minutes and tear apart why that study might not have been the best and why it is only really a snapshot in time. Because even if that was perfectly conducted, and even if it was true for that case, outdoor is very, very broad. And so is indoor. And there's lots of different parameters that play into that. So we're going to see variety from uh, Northern California to Southern California to Oregon to Washington to Michigan and all over the U.S. and everywhere else in the you know world. Uh, the outdoor is very difficult slash impossible yeah. to control if you're just you're at the will of nature where indoor I think a lot of people like it just because of the actual look of the bud so even if the test results didn't uh, you know align just generally for most people most places that don't have the weather to grow great outdoor their best access to good bud comes from indoor or well done greenhouse so people get these ideas in their mind that it has to be this way or that way but when you've been exposed to all of them done well you can realize like it can all be amazing and maybe we're just sort of splitting hairs because they're not even i i used to be mr terpene i figured out the top 10 cannabis terpenes or whatever and thought like oh terpene profile matters so much but then i started learning more about esters aldehydes ketones and flavonoids and minor cannabinoids and all these other things play a huge role and very very rarely discussed if not ever like i've never seen a, a ketone test i've never seen a flavonoid test uh aldehyde test ester test never seen any of those and like methylanthranolate is one of my favorite flavors in cannabis super right. candy grapey flavor so we're still a ways away just like we don't know a lot about human diet i think we kind of think that we understand it for a while and then we our understanding of it continues and, and grows um I think that we're still that way with cannabis at, at this place because it is still relatively new um, compared to a lot of the other things that we've been able to study. And we're still not able to legally study it in many places as we would like to. So uh, I think we're going to continue to have a lot of this uh, open discussion and dialogues over what science is being done well um, and what is what's actually, you know, it's it's hard to nail down any of the facts of the matter with cannabis. Like even what does it do? Like if you describe to a non-smoker how does cannabis make you feel it can be really tough <laughs> to like describe even the effect of it so from that standpoint it can be really uh i guess spacey and uh 
that, that's part of the fun of it all. I think that's one of the things we all enjoy. But with that said, we've got about four minutes left, and I want to go ahead and pass it to Dr. MJ first to give us final thoughts and shout out. Yeah, it was an interesting, interesting show. I like getting into science. I think there's a real value in in sort of analyzing those articles where we take issue with how they were done and, and the conclusions that they drew from that, because that's a really important scale that that's really increasingly what we all need to have with us and and to be analyzing the the information that we encounter in the world and be able to judge whether or not it's, it's good, reliable information, or it's just somebody sort of trying to get us to think what they want us to think um, for whatever reason. And it's interesting. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not opposed by any stretch, even being an indoor grower to like outdoor cannabis having some strengths to it or having some benefits to it the indoor cannabis doesn't have i would love to be able to grow outdoors here i'd love to be able to have to take good science to to politicians make an argument for that case uh, but that study certainly wasn't what that was all about right that study was just trying probably to sell more of their product um or to try to make an argument that their product was better than others so I don't know. It was a very interesting discussion for that. I appreciate the input of of all the different panelists on this one. We all bring sort of different experience to it, and I love that we're all willing to sort of call BS when we smell it. So oh, <laughs> good luck or good job to everybody out out there sort of reading those articles. I enjoyed reading them all. I did not get through all of them though, so I'll try to do a better job with my homework next time. But I am Dr. MJ Coco. I'll wrap up my sort of little monologue here. Dr. MJ Coco, check out my YouTube channel. Come visit us at CocoForCannabis.com. And um, yeah, I got a couple other cool shows coming up that you guys will be able to, to track down. I'm doing a, a two-parter with uh, Mr. Grow It these days. And I'm doing uh, another couple episodes of the Growcast coming up. So check out both of those. Um, and grow with love, everyone. Grow love. And I think it's interesting, even if the indoor would have won in that study, I would have been calling BS because just the yeah. way that it was conducted. And it almost seemed like a coin toss of like between those two farmers, like the Granny Flora versus like the Moon Mid or whoever it was that was involved, the farms that were tested. Uh, it's like, hey, we're going to do this study and one of us is going to be able to have bragging rights after basically. Yeah. And uh, with other than that, not much that you can take from that study. So uh, that was about all I, I got from that. And next, I'll pass it to Brandon Rust. What's going on? Thanks again, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be here, sit with the panel, talk science, talk shop, talk about weed, uh, confirm good science, debunk bad science. Um, I am on Instagram at rust.brandon and Bokashi Earthworks. Um, you can subscribe to the Patreon. We're going to be organizing a lot of educational content there. And you can Get Bouveria Bassiana along with Humate Fertilizers and all kinds of other microbe products at www.bokashieearthworks.com. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks again, Brandon. Next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Yeah, I, I have to echo most of what uh, Dr. Coco said. I really enjoyed the chat. I'm glad that we have 200 episodes um, concurrent now. And I really liked the research that we looked at, and I liked that we got to sort of analyze it and critique it. And I think that's very important for all kinds of people to do. Um, and I really liked the discussion that it broached. And I also want to say that I'm 
I'm excited to see more research about indoor-outdoor, and I also want to say that um, I'm excited that uh, we're going to be seeing more of that stuff coming up, and I had a more articulate point to make, but I do not have it. So I would just leave by saying, if you're interested in, in research and good information about IPM and pests and how to mitigate them, you can check me out at xenthanol.com for professional inquiries. You can check me out also at Xenthanol, the YouTube channel for social media and information and presentations and things like that. So learn you some, and I'll look forward to our mutual success. Happy to have you. And uh, last and certainly not least of the panelists this evening, the American one. Jack, thanks for hosting 200 episodes is a feat. Uh, congratulations to everyone on the panel. And thank you to everyone in chat for hanging out with us for 200 episodes. It's pretty amazing. Although I was not here for every single one, I feel like I, uh, I have been. And yeah, as I say, approach everything you hear, learn, or see with healthy skepticism. But also remember to avoid and identify your biases because oftentimes it happened to me. I check myself. Um, I see a paper or a news article that like goes right in line with my thinking. And then I like start, I, I send it to someone or something. And then I'm like, I better look at this. And then I find out it's like totally bogus. So yeah, don't, check your own biases. Don't believe everything that you want to believe, you know? And, uh, but I am often amazed by the new findings that they find in real science. And I want to say, yeah, you know, science is great. And um, I don't say, you know, outright disbelieve everything, but check everything and question everything. And yeah, like at a certain point, they were saying certain brands of cigarettes were good for the pregnant ones. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I'm at with science and mm -hmm. all of that. So yeah, but yeah, it's really a great episode. And yeah, thanks for everyone for hanging. And yeah, that's it, man. Peace out, everybody. Peace out, Sal. That was a great point to end it on. I just want to say I'm smoking on a lovely joint of grape ape. And if you haven't tried it before or uh, other grape crosses, it's one that does have lots of that methylanthranolate. It tastes great. Might not be the highest terpene tester, and it definitely won't be the highest THC on the shelf. Sometimes it's even below 20%, but don't let that dissuade you. It's incredibly relaxing. It makes me feel amazing. Great medicine. Great pain reliever. As you can probably tell, I'm relaxed, feeling great. Lovely. 100 or 200th episode, 400 hours of content that we've delivered. Uh, it's been an amazing ride, and I look forward to 200 more. Uh, maybe making it to a thousand someday. You know, I think uh, the show's going to keep on riding. And I appreciate going through the science with all of you, uh, good, good, bad, or in between. It's a lot of fun uh, coming together with you guys for anything to discuss a cannabis or just hanging out. It's always a great time. So I appreciate you all. This has been an incredible 200. And I'm very, very thankful for not only the panelists, but also the listeners, uh, the chat who's here with us live and all the podcast listeners. I try to do my best to get that up after as quickly as possible. I know that. Over half of you guys are on the podcast alone. So to the listeners out there, we thank you. And with that said, uh, you can find me at Jack Greenstock on Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And uh, yeah, hope everybody has a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next week. Peace and love, y'all. Grow love, everyone. And keep on growing. <laughs>